This is a day, uh, baptism of the Lord is a day in the life of the church where we celebrate and remember Jesus' baptism, but also reflect together on our own baptism and recommit ourselves to it, to its promises, to its significance. Our second lesson is Mark's telling of Jesus' baptism. Now, Mark, compared with the other gospel writers, is a master of brevity. He has uh, quite an appreciation for the economy of words. Mark begins his gospel with Jesus' baptism. He doesn't begin his gospel with a Christmas story, with a birth story, but rather with Jesus' baptism. Because for Mark, Jesus' baptism marks the beginning of his ministry on earth. This is a ministry that's marked by a scarcity of time. Because as Jesus' first words in the gospel tell us, the kingdom of God is near. I invite you to listen now with open hearts and minds as we encounter God's word together from the first chapter of Mark's gospel, beginning with the fourth verse. John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And people from the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him and were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair, with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. He proclaimed, The one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as he was coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart and the spirit descending like a dove on him. And a voice came from heaven. You are my son, the beloved. With you, I am well pleased. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It seems to me that an eternal struggle of people, especially in our day and age today, is fitting in. Fitting in is a hard thing to do. It doesn't matter what age you are, but anytime you're brought into a new environment, a new community, a new workplace, you have it, you're faced with the dilemma of how to fit in. Seems that deep down we all want to be liked and accepted to some degree and can go through, we can often go through a lot to gain this acceptance. Sometimes it's buying the right clothes, having the right friends, enjoying the right hobbies, buying the right kind of car, living in the right neighborhood. We usually in society put a lot of attention on children and youth and their difficulty and struggle trying to fit in, but The truth is, is that people struggle with this throughout their lives. Our world at times seems to get more and more exclusive. And the church, historically and also today, certainly isn't immune to this this culture, this this, um, exclusivity. And it seems to me that one of the details we in the church, that's the church universal, uh, like to nitpick more than any other is whether or not you're the right kind of Christian. And this seems to stem from how we understand baptism. Were you baptized as an infant or as an adult? 
Were you immersed in water, or did the preacher sprinkle you with water? If you were sprinkled, were you sprinkled once or three times for the Trinity? Is baptism all about accepting Jesus, or is it about forgiveness? Or maybe it's about adoption. All of these things show that we have this tendency to fall into making it all about us. The human role of baptism, like deciding whether adults or infants are baptized, whether immersion or sprinkling is the more holy way. We can forget about God's role in the whole thing and get so wrapped up in what we do that we think it'll somehow affect whether or not God will accept it or that it counts. Let's take a look again at Jesus' baptism in Mark to help us get a little more insight on what baptism means for us. Now Mark tells us that there was this prophet named John baptizing people in the wilderness in the river Jordan, preparing the way for the Lord's arrival. We met John during Advent and learned that his odd dietary choices and clothing resembled a new Elijah, the most powerful prophet of Israel. Then Jesus comes on the scene, and John is surprised that the Messiah himself actually wants to be baptized by him. John's a little hesitant, but he does so anyways. Now what's interesting here is that Mark doesn't bother giving us any details at all about how John baptized Jesus, just that he did. What Mark does spend time on, however, is what happens next. He says that after his baptism, Jesus looks up and saw the heavens torn open. Think back a few weeks to the first week of Advent. Do y'all remember that image? When the heavens are torn open as the prophet Isaiah pleads, and we see here in Mark's gospel, when the heavens are torn open, it means that the boundary between heaven and earth is destroyed. And God is now closer to us than ever before. The coming of the Messiah and the birth of his ministry and baptism have decreased the distance between us and God forever. So the heavens are torn open, and from the heavens a great voice proclaims, You are my Son, the Beloved. With you I am well pleased. Notice Mark spends more time describing God's action in Jesus' baptism than John's role in physically doing the baptism. And what Mark tells us about God's role in baptism is in no way complete by any means. The church also claims that baptism marks the forgiveness of sins, the dying and rising together with Christ, being sealed by the Holy Spirit, the beginning of one's Christian journey. So baptism along with the Lord's Supper are our sacraments, and these will always remain somewhat mysterious to us in this life. But there are some things we can glean about God from Mark's description of baptism. After Jesus' baptism, we hear that the heavens are torn open and God proclaims, you are my beloved son. These are words here of claiming, of adoption, of acceptance. Just like in Jesus' baptism, whenever we baptize someone, infant or adult or anyone in between, we celebrate God's acceptance of them in Christ. Each time someone's baptized, whether it's an infant or an adult, by immersion or sprinkling, it's as if we too see the heavens torn open 
and God's voice calling that person by name, saying, you are my beloved child. With you, I am well pleased. You see, it's not so much about method. It's about adoption. And our adoption as children of God in Christ. What counts is God's presence in the act and God's claim on the life of the baptized. In a world where it seems increasingly hard to fit in, our baptism reminds us that in God, we have been accepted. We've been accepted as children of God, not because of anything we've done, but through the grace of Christ. John Calvin says that in baptism, it's as if we put on the garment of Christ. And when God sees us, God sees Jesus in us. We'll never fully understand the beauty and mystery of our baptism. But we do know that it is our way of proclaiming that God has claimed us in Christ and has called each of us by name as a child of God. It's God at work in us. Our baptism isn't effective because of the method we use or the age of the baptized, but rather through the Holy Spirit sealing us and claiming us as God's own. In the church, we say that we use water, ordinary water, right from the tap, the very source of life, as a visible sign of the invisible reality that God has cleansed and claimed us in baptism. In a world where everyone is desperately trying to fit in and be accepted, we can be reminded that we have been accepted by God. We can be reminded of this every time we quench our thirst. Every time we wash our hands, we can be reminded of how God has cleansed us and given us a new life in Christ. Fred Craddock was one of the best preachers of the 20th century, at least in my book. And he, he was this because he was a masterful storyteller. My favorite story of his is about a vacation he and his wife took to Gatlinburg, Tennessee, back in the 1950s. While eating at a local restaurant, a distinguished older man came up to their table and introduced himself as Ben Hooper. He then asked Craddock what he did for a living, to which he said, I teach preachers at a seminary. Hooper replies, oh, so you teach preachers how to preach, do you? Well, do I have a story for you? The man started... See that mountain over there? I'm pointing out the restaurant window. Not far from the base of that mountain, there was a boy born and was raised by a single mother. He went on to explain growing up that he would constantly be asked by strangers who his father was, to which he had no answer. See, in his time, he was considered illegitimate. He was taunted by classmates during recess. He was shunned by the community. Hooper then shared how when he was 12, his church hired a new preacher. On his first Sunday in the pulpit, Hooper tried desperately to avoid meeting this new preacher. But that plan didn't exactly work out. Shaking the young Hooper's hand, the preacher asked him who his daddy was. At that moment, Hooper could tell every eye in the church was on him. And he expressed feeling that old weight coming upon him, saying, it was like a big black cloud. Even the preacher was putting me down. But as he looked down at me, studying my face, he began to smile a big smile of recognition. Wait a minute, he said. I know who you are. I see the family resemblance. 
you are a child of God. Then the preacher went on to tell him, boy, you've got a great inheritance. Now go and claim it. Hooper looked across the table at Craddock and said, that was the most important single sentence anyone has ever said to me. With that, he smiled, shook Craddock's hands and his wife's, and moved on to another table to meet old friends. Craddock would soon learn that Ben Hooper, the young boy who was self-conscious about his identity, who he was, would go on to do great things, including being elected and serving two terms as the governor of Tennessee. Can you hear God's words? You are my child, my beloved. With you, I am well pleased. Hooper was indeed a man with a great inheritance. And through the waters of baptism, so it is for all of us in Christ. Friends, may we celebrate that even in such an exclusive world where everyone is desperately trying to fit in and find their place in the world, through the waters of baptism, we are called beloved children of God in Christ. May we be strengthened by our identity as children of God through this, but may we also be mindful and think about who in our lives and in our world needs to hear this preacher's comforting words. I know who you are. I see the family resemblance. You are a child of God. Amen. Amen.